0: hello everyone what's up this is charming and this is another episode for the economics hangover podcast thanks for sticking around um if you guys listen to humming sound, some something like that it's because it's extremely hot here in brazil where i live we're in the middle of the summer and this sound that you guys listen to it's uh My fans. So uh, please bear it, please have some patience or else I cannot record this episode because I need a little bit of this machine to cool off things here for me so I can speak with you guys for some couple of minutes here. Anyways, actually the topic that I was supposed to talk about today, it was supposed I think better to be recorded as the first episode of the year. But you know, things happen And I started writing this article for my university, for my master's um, about the possible 2020 uh, financial recession. And if you guys are used to the financial media, if you guys um, read it like daily or weekly, even so, um, probably saw a lot of articles coming up about this in the last year. And we're gonna discuss about some of the hype that happened last year and what should we actually fear for 2020 coming around for us or not. All right, so undoubtedly uh, 2019, it was a pretty volatile year. A lot of things happened. Uh, that is a fact. The whole trade wars between the United States and China, they really tense up markets as well as, you know, pretty much like the the slow pace of like the Brexit and stuff that we didn't really see a resolution. And as well, we saw other problems like uh, populist leaders in some countries, like my own and the rise of populism in some countries. And we also saw like a sluggish European and Japanese economy continue to go and all these distortions so it was natural to you know analysts and uh, economists and the media and markets in general to have uh, scare undertones about how 2019 was about to be and this exercise that i'm telling you guys to think about it's the by the beginning of 2019 so if you uh, Ruminous how things happen in 2019, you guys probably can remember some events like the inversion of the yield curve that really started to giving some red flags that something sketchy might be happening in the near future. And that's when um, economists and market analysts started to predict uh, 2019 2020, sorry, a 2020 crisis. But the big edge, I think, that it came out because when we saw the first analysis and the first uh, warning signs with inversion of the yield curve and the whole dilemmas that were keep happening in twenty nineteen with the trade war, uh, and we saw like some of the negative feedback that analysts and economists were giving, um, it was right after it, and like as a reflex, the financial media started to broadcast this fact of the possible 2020 crisis as this almost given crisis like you need to prepare that something bad is happening 2008 is happening or some kind of bubble like the subprime crisis sort of deal it's going to happen in 2020 so soon we have to be prepared for this and a lot of this comes out because of this inversion of the yield curve because despite not having the, the statistical causality, it does have some correlation, especially historical correlations that before any recession, uh, there's an inversion of the yield curve. So um, there's many graphs that you guys can check it out in the internet, and I'll probably put one of those in the thumbnail for the show in my social media, so if you guys want to check it out. But um, I mean with this inversion of the yield curve, like everyone went haywire, you know, like the whole market sentiment was like, oh my God, it's soon happening and we need to hedge ourselves with um, the whole whole next recession coming. And true enough, like uh, if we analyze things, like it's already been 10 years, 10 and like a half years since the 2008 crisis, and ever since the two thousand eight crisis, at least for the American economy, things been not so bad. I mean, the growth net has not been like super explosive and exponential, but it had growth. It, it improved a lot the situation since the crisis, and the Feds been doing their part um, passively, in my opinion. But they've been doing their part. And I mean overall the American economy has been quite stable uh, compared to what they saw ten years ago. And pretty much I think even this uh this environment of stability, it creates some insecurity because like it's that same dilemma that you have like in life, for example, like think when things are going too smooth, it seems too good to be true, you know, like so it seems like the market sentiment is like, oh my god, what is going to happen next? We need to be prepared. And ever since this, like, these signs that have started coming up all together in twenty nineteen, they all came up simultaneously. Um, the whole enthusiasm of the media and getting in the bandwagon of like some, you know, more pessimistic analysts and ec- economists coming up with like some uh, apocalyptic, apocalyptic apocalyptic <laughs> theories uh they started to like broadcast those news like crazy man and like because of that like it actually started becoming like this whole um made-up crisis that it was happening like y- if you want you can check it out like you can just like put like in the internet like in google or something like the 2020 crisis is gonna pop up a bunch of articles from last year with like uh, a bunch of like probably probable things that might happen or the the thermometer of like possibility of the 2020 crisis and actually what was interesting because by the second semester of 2019 especially um, more towards the end of the year like around October January uh, we started to see actually signs of like of American of the American economy to grow and some more uh, measurements that the trust for the economy it would be uh good enough not to be in a crisis i'm not actually saying here guys just so i can picture out that everything is fine and it's all peachy and uh, the economy the american economy and the global economy are doing really good and we should never worry i mean there's always a possibility of something happening through random events and uncontrolled things that we cannot expect. Uh, One example is what we just saw recently with the whole tensions between between Iran and the United States. Um, Those kind of things can really, you know, uh, create a ripple effect in the economy as a whole. And geopolitical matters are tough to predict and are tough to be analyzed. And we always have to be dependent on the, the, the facts and what's going to happen. So, I mean, for an economist, it's an extreme hard job to come up with some logical sense of what's going to happen in the future. Because, like, I remember, like, when it happened, uh, those attacks in the urine. It was, like, it was completely random. It happened out of nowhere. And that week was, like, everybody speculating about World War Three and all that. And it was just like you know, like in the and media, social media, you know, Twitter, all that stuff, it happens it helps a lot to spread the hypeness and it creates this whole sense of of you know like uh, of tension and even though on the contrary when it's something more positive, like for example, like a bubble like Bitcoin was back in twenty seventeen or some the the stock of the of the you know like of of the, of the people that everybody's talking about and it comes out and like all the social media and entire media just start writing about that so there's a huge um, concern that we should have about how information is being broadcasted today and how uh, especially the masses like I'm not saying that the masses in a pejorative sense but I'm just saying the masses like as everyone else um, how everyone else it's like interpreting their, those results and this is like I think one of the biggest assets that an investor can have it's knowing how to defer bullshit from what its reality and what should be actually uh, controlled and what should what should be hedged and what kind of strategies we should implement but anyways like going back to the topic since I just differed a lot uh, drifted a lot from this um, in 20 in November 2019 we started to see some better signs of what the American economy and the world economy should be taking, and I think that especially came out after the the jobs were added to the to the U.S. economy. 54,000 jobs were added to the U.S. economy in November, and the decline of the unemployment rate, and also um, you know confidence levels were pretty good and stock markets high and all the better expectations of a little bit more of growth and inflation in the u.s and uh the lesser probability of the u.s economy defaulting under debt which is actually pretty big is a 23 trillion dollar debt for the american economy but um i think the cool thing that came out in 2019 is that like I mean, there's a lot of discussions about the uh, U.S. debt and how large it is, and that's undeniable undeniable truth. But, I mean, I think if we, we analyze from a more systematic perspective, the U.S. debt is actually something that it's unlikely to collapse anytime soon. I'm not saying it will never collapse, but I mean, at least in this new future that we have, it's really hard to to... To collapse, because I mean the the people that have most like the countries that have most like um, uh you know like, treasure bills and stuff like that. Or Japan and China. So um, I mean, if if by any chance like it's not China's and Japan's incentives to, uh, not take any measures with the U.S. debt because if the if the U.S. debt has a call uh, collapses. That would be bad news for Japan and China. So they will continue to uh, be there taking their measurements and their hedging to avoid something happening to the U.S. And also the U.S. has, like, it's pretty much like the, the biggest nation that has, like, other nations uh behind their, their bills and their, their bonds and stuff like that. So, I mean, nobody wants to see that happening, right? And, um... Yeah, that's that's an interesting point that I just said. Like, it's an important point that why it's not going to happen. Also, like um, somehow the some some lenders actually think that the the Federal Reserve will be able to um, to repay the debts of the nation. So there's actually despite I see a lot of economists. Uh, Criticizing the Federal Reserve, I mean, when it comes to the masses, they actually believe in the capacity of the Fed to do their job. And that's a really good point, a good positive aspect, because, I mean, in the end, like the economy is made of trust. So it just reflects on what the people are thinking. So if the the people are, are feeling somehow safe, it means that there's actually some kind of stability right there. If people are uncertain or they're taking radical measurements, then there's a red flag. And at least through my perspective, I don't see any red flags when it comes to that. But also, this is a pretty simple analysis, guys. I'm not saying... I'm not giving total credit to the Federal Reserve and not saying that everything they're doing is dandy And, like, uh, of course, there's uh, problems. Nothing's perfect. Uh, of course, there's things that should improve. But, I mean, I'm just giving, like, in the... Superficial level it is what it is. Another thing that people think it's about like the, the, the devaluation of the dollar the US dollar and um yeah uh, Perspectives are that the expectations that the US dollar will be devalued Uh this year, but <laughs> would be far from being substituted as the main currency of exchange Cause I know a, a lot of people say like, oh my God, like the Euro is so damn expensive right now. It's it's more, more strong. It's like stronger than a dollar and stuff. And the Yuan is a currency that has traded the most, but it's unlikely, at least through my perspective that anytime soon the dollar would be substituted. It's the main reserve guys. Like most central banks in the world have under reserves dollars. And in my country, that is a reality. Brazil, it's a, uh, a nation that is de- dependent on the dollar. So, um, yes, perhaps, it, like I said before, the dollar will be uh, weaker than the euro, for example, but what's still, it's still being the, the currency that's most traded out there in the world by anyone. And, I don't know, like, when it comes to Europe, though, like, I think we should really think about Europe and possibilities. Europe and Iran... Actually, Europe and the U.S. relationship with the Middle East. Um, why I'm talking about it is because I think I'm not giving like you guys like uh, an affirmation because it would be too bold to do in a podcast. And honestly, if I gave you guys this kind of affirmation, this would be completely, you know, unworthy, unworthy of any credit. But uh, I'm just saying, through a contemplative perspective, um, I think we should, you know, put our eyes into Europe and the Middle East right now because um, Europe's been stagnant, and um, everyone is talking about the possibility of the German economy crashing into a recession. And we also saw some like more fiscal stimulus by the German government. But the truth is that despite any of these like short-term events, uh, uh, looking through a macro perspective and a, a denser perspective, uh, Europe has a lot of systematic problems now, and especially in Southern Europe, there's a lot of problems. And I think these, is one or, these are one of like the biggest problems of the EU as a whole because like there's this whole thing of dependent nations, and. I mean, when you get like some of the main countries like, for example, France and Italy and all this stuff going on in there and the low productivity rates that happen there, these are factors that we should watch out for because uh, in the negative interest rates in the, Europe, in the ECB and stuff like that, yes, those are factors that we should start considering more something happening in Europe perhaps I should rec- uh, record later some episode dedicated just for the European problems I'm not going to do so in this episode because uh, I don't want to extend too much I don't want to make this a real long episode um, but let's I think Europe it's a it's a more occurred there that we should put in our maps and look out for and all of you guys will probably record later an episode about Europe with more information I also have to do more research to do so but I mean, superficially looking at, it's a factor of looking for probable probable ripple effects. And another one, like I said before, it's Iran, the whole relationship with the U.S. and Iran, because um, we saw the whole tensions of possible conflicts and stuff like that. And I mean, I like I prefer to be optimistic that. Uh, like a war or a conflict will not happen there because that would not benefit anyone, especially because, like, come on, guys, like a war in the 21st century is the dumbest thing to do. We have a super connected global economy nowadays. So in the likeliness of a war happening, I would be like, man, this would, like, create a, the distorted effect of incalculable... Uh, losses so no let's hope for the best let's let's try to be a little bit optimistic on our leaders like like who wants to benefit from that I don't think anybody wants but as anything in life and anything in history has proven to us like things happen through black swans and even like the biggest like the two past world wars happened through pretty random events but especially World War One. Um, it's impossible to say there there's a zero percent probability, but I mean, in the um, in the black swan event, if some kind of conflict happens, that would be some sort of like real reason of concern for the U.S. economy because there's a po- possibility of hyperinflation there because of the whole you know military spending that will be dedicated for combats and stuff so this is what we don't want to see happen we don't want to see any kind of tensions that involve combats in the middle east or stuff and you you're gonna be already seeing like for example in the weeks of the tensions of iran there was like this entire tension and this like um you know like super volatility in the price of crude oil and stuff like that And imagine if something like that happened. It would reflect instantaneously in the financial markets and the assets that are sold. Actually, it would affect so many assets that we would never, like, uh, we cannot even imagine, like, through just, like, this talk in a podcast because, like, everything is interconnected in the financial markets. And, like, if, like, some kind of conflict happens and there's this sentiment that things are, are going haywire... So, like, every, all the investors are going to start... They're going to start reacting accordingly. And, well, guys, I guess this is pretty much it, you know? Uh, like I said, I don't want to extend too much today. It's Sunday <laughs> that I'm recording this episode. And um, I just think that, the la- like, lastly, the thing I want to say, it's more uh, a criticism on financial journalism nowadays because... I mean, the whole fears of this uh, possible 2020 crisis, from what I've noticed, it was mostly just hypeness from the media, because they're, like, reporting every damn event, as it would be, like, the apocalyptic event that will bring the next subprime crisis to the world, and all these analysis and all that. I'm not saying that it's not healthy. healthy... Um, activity to try to hedge risk. But I saw much more a sentiment of intellectual narcissism to, like, uh, analysts and the media to say who was the first to predict a crisis instead of saying real, you know, um, concrete works and concrete um, solutions and hedging techniques and hedging hedging um you know m- uh, methods and models to prevent uh, a bigger crisis i didn't see any of that i just saw like a bunch of people saying a bunch of articles saying like the crisis is going to happen the next recession is going to happen because there was an inversion of the yield curve or because the trade war is going this way or because the brexit is that and i mean th- these are just like you know like just like getting a bunch of events and like coming up, speculation, speculating with whatever you feel like. And at least through my positive criticism, it was um, a bit unresponsible to label some of these, you know, distortions, brief distortions that happened in the system and a point that they were uh, an effect of causality for an a uh, next recession that that was at least in my opinion, that was a really bad job because it creates it creates the sentiment in markets. And as much as like we should research more, if you look through all the bubbles that happen and some of the recessions that happen, they always come through psychological um, through psychological things from the people from the masses. And I mean if you're putting All this wood in the fire it's gonna become bigger so why coming up with these just to like sell articles just to sell subscriptions and sell getting more people to read no like I don't I don't think that's really sustainable I don't think that's really a good solution like we should like be researching we should be doing like more you know like formal studies to create hedging measure measures to prevent any kind of collapse in the system and um and i'm sure there's like some serious people working on that and putting their hearts and research to do that but i don't see the media talking about that i'm just seeing the media talking whenever something happens they they expand that event it was as if as is well as if sorry as if was like the the atomic bomb in the economy and some something really bad will happen from day to night and stuff like that. Anyways guys, if you guys are enjoying the economics hangover podcast, please follow us on Spotify. Give us a like, give us a follow. And um every two weeks I try to drop off an episode. Uh, I wish I could do daily or or weekly, but I'm a busy master's student. So it's like uh, I'm most of like six times per week. I'm busy working and papers and stuff like that and studying. So um, I wish I could have more time to dedicate for this. But I, at least I try to make this consistency of every two weeks coming up with an episode and so far since last year, it's been working for me. So just, you know, check it out every two weeks. Follow the Economics Hangover podcast. I'm I'm sure that. Every two weeks, an episode will come up, and unless if it's really a busy week for me or a busy time for me, I'll announce that it's not coming, it's coming some some other time. But uh, for the time being two every two weeks, I come here with an episode. So you guys follow that up. There's also my blog that uh, sometimes I put some articles that. They come as a supplementation for the podcast episodes. Uh, I wish I had also more time to uh, writing those articles, but I choose to do them when I need uh, some graphic, some visual aid that I cannot demonstrate here through the episode. So, um, you know, just follow me, follow my Instagram, especially my personal Instagram. I put more um, updates there, but uh, there's also an econ hangover Instagram. But uh, follow our Instagrams because there's like some news there, too. And, you know, keep listening to us. And I, think, I thank you guys for the support. If you guys are um, still sticking around with me until now. And, well, <laughs> uh, to conclude everything here. So the big question is, is there is a 2020 recession that's going to happen? So uh, the answer would be, it's hard to say right now. We're still in January. We don't know how 2020 will be. Like I said, there's always a possibility of a black swan, but it will be too bold of a statement to to create the affirmation that it will happen 100% surely in 2020. So, guys, thanks so much for sticking with me, and I hope we see, see you guys soon again. All right? So, this is it. This is Charming. I'm out. Bye.